everybody. Welcome to the Tuesdays podcast. This is Casey. For a second there, I almost forgot her name. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um. So, we haven't done this in a while. We have some social media pages. We do. We have on Facebook a group called the Tuesdays podcast. And Instagram. I believe it's the same. It is. Or close to it. Um, and you spell it T-W-O. S-E-A-S. Podcast. Podcast. For a second I was like, did I say C-E-A-S? No, you said S-E-A-S. Yeah, but I got confused C's. for a second. Because our names start with C's. Whoops. Whoa. Things are just falling uh, everywhere. Yeah. So I'm Chrissy. I already said it. Did you? Yeah. And I'm Casey. <laughs> and this is Did the TC. Did we do that? <laughs> it's been a long two weeks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chrissy. <laughs> we could just do that for an hour. No, I'm sure people would get really upset with that. <laughs> I mean. The two people that listen. Just kidding. I was like, there's more than two people. In fact. In fact, new listeners. You know, I hope people can hear you because this isn't even facing it. Okay, first off, I don't think anyone has a problem hearing me. Sorry. But, new listeners. Arlington, Virginia. South Lake, Texas. Concord, North Carolina. Downington, Pennsylvania. Gilbert, Arizona. Shelbyville, Indiana, Gauteng, South Africa, and I'm so sorry because I'm pretty sure I misspelled that, or misspoke it, Madison, Alabama, and Corlea, North Corlea, Finland. That one was a definite. She also apologizes for that yeah. as well. But everyone gets to laugh. Who's in a different country and is like, ha, ah, stupid Americans. They don't know how to say We're it. We're not stupid Americans. How, <laughs> how do you say it in English? <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy. <laughs> That's how I say it. I make up my own words. <laughs> oh, close to it. I really do make up my own words. They might not be the right ones, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm special. So, again, we're doing disappearances. Yes. Also, um, welcome, new listeners. Yes, welcome. And old listeners. Welcome, everybody. We've missed you guys. We have? I have. I didn't even know they were gone. Well, we were gone. Where did they go? Where did we go? I worked. Where did That's the little was... jewels in my earrings go? That's what I'd like they to fell know. Out. That's what I would say five dollar um No, they're in there. I don't think so. Anyways Yeah they are. You just need to they need to be cleaned. Anyways. Okay, anyway, sorry. I got sidetracked. <laughs> Woo! Shiny thing. Right, and it is shiny. Kind of. No, it's not. It needs to be cleaned. I don't think they're in there. But anyways, go ahead. See that one. Yeah, they are. I can see them. I don't think so. But anyways. Anyways. Um, so I'm doing mine. I, oh, this is Chrissy and I'm going first. 
<laughs> Did I tell you my name is Chrissy? I'm just kidding. What's your name again? Now I remember. I've lost my name. That they call me help. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that so, song. I love it. Anyways. <sighs> Sorry, I had to yawn. Um, I did mine on the disappearance of Maura Murray. And my sources this week were Wikipedia, because I just love Wikipedia. Um, WMUR.com Channel 9 News. And um, Maura Murray Missing.org. They have, uh, I believe her parents set up a, just a, a website. A website for just her, yeah. Um, so she was five foot seven. She was born May fourth, nineteen eighty two, in Hanson, Massachusetts. She, I I saw that it was spelled the right way. Um. Yeah, I wasn't gonna. I know, but I was just anything. saying that it's spelled the right way. Well, true. Anyways, uh, she disappeared February ninth, two thousand and four. Uh, off of Route 112 in Haver Hill, New Hampshire. Haver Hill, New Hampshire. Uh, she was 21 years old when she went missing. Maura is the fourth child of Frederick, but he goes by Fred, and Lori Murray. She has two older sisters named Kathleen and Julie, an older brother named Fred, and a younger brother named Kurt. They were raised in an Irish Catholic household. Uh, when Maura was six, her parents divorced, and after the divorce, she primarily lived with her mother. Maura graduated from Whitman Hansen Regional High School, where she was the star athlete on the school's track team. She was accepted into the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York where she studied chemical engineering for three semesters, so her whole freshman year. Um, and then after her freshman year of college, she decided that she wanted to transfer to um, UMass, which is the University of Massachusetts, and study uh, nursing instead. So in November 2003, three months before she disappeared, Mora admitted to using a stolen credit card to order food from several restaurants, including one in Hadley, Massachusetts. And then in December, she went to court for the stolen credit card, and um, the judge gave her, um, well, didn't give her the option, but ruled that, um, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, but the judge ruled that um, if Mora could stay out of trouble, and, like, nothing happened or whatever yeah. in the next three months that um, the charge would be taken off of her record. Okay. Uh, and then on the evening of February 5th, 2004, while she was working at her campus security job, Maura spoke on the phone with her older sister, Kathleen, and they discussed, or they were talking about Kathleen's relationship problems that she was having with her fiance. Um, at around 10:30 p.m., uh, she was seen crying from several different people. Didn't say who it was, so I'm assuming that it was probably just like students Passer or whatever. Wise. Yeah. Um, when her supervisor arrived at her desk, 
Mora was just completely zoned out. She had no reaction at all, and she was completely unresponsive. The supervisor ended up walking her back to her dorm room at around 1.20 a.m. Um, to make sure that she made it back safely because she was, like, completely out of it. Uh, she said that when she kept asking, or I don't know if it was a man or a woman didn't say if the supervisor was, but when the supervisor asked Mora, like, what's going on, what's wrong with you, all she would say is, my sister. That was it. Um, what the sisters talked about remained unknown until October of 2017. Which is how many? Well, she disappeared in... 2004. Oh. So 13 years. So was it kept quiet? No, she wouldn't talk, the sister wouldn't talk to anyone and tell them what was going on. Uh, she had a, a lot of problems. Oh, okay. Um, so in October of 2017, Kathleen probably, probably, Kathleen finally publicly explained um, what she had talked to her sister about so she was a recovering alcoholic and she had just been released from rehab um and her boyfriend picked her or her fiance picked okay. her up from rehab and on the way home stopped by a liquor store nice because that's supportive right um which caused her to have an emotional breakdown oh well then which I is don't... why she called her sister and why she couldn't talk about it right probably I'm sure. And, I I mean, who knows if she started drinking. What a douche. After that, right? I really hope that she didn't marry him. No Well, offense. it's none of our business no, if she not. did. But, I mean, at the time, that yeah. is and douchey. And you don't know what happened, like, since then or whatever yeah. either. So. Um, so, on Saturday, February 7th, Mora's father, Fred, arrived in Amherst. Um, he told investigators that he took his daughter car shopping in the afternoon. And then later that evening, they um, went out to dinner with another one of Maura's friends. And then after dinner, she dropped her father off at, the, at his hotel room and borrowed his car to return back to cap campus. And then she attended a party. So she arrived at 1030 at the party. 10.30 p.m. And then on 2.30 a.m. Sunday morning, which would be the following morning, uh, she left the party and then she was driving to her father's hotel and hit a guardrail at 3.30 a.m. on Route 9 and happened. Uh, and it caused about $10,000 worth of damage to her father's car. So... She called the police, or she called 911, um, and the officer ended up writing an accident report, um, but there was no documentation of whether or not he gave her a uh, field sobriety test or not. Got it. I'm assuming that he probably didn't. She probably seemed fine. She probably just, like, was shaken up or whatever. Yeah. I would assume that if she was acting drunk, he would have given her a field sobriety test, so. I hope so. Right. Um, so the police officer drove her to her father's motel and dropped her off, and then she ended up staying there for the rest of the, the next day, or okay. morning, whatever. Um, at 
9 a.m., there was a call from her dad's phone to her boyfriend. Um, no one knows if it was Mora that was calling her boyfriend, and they don't know if she actually got a hold of him or not because it didn't, it didn't say. And he never said whether or not she got a hold of him. So they're not sure if it was her dad calling him or if it was her calling Okay. Okay. Uh, so later Sunday morning, uh, after Fred had learned about his, um, his daughter wrecking his car or whatever, causing damage to it, whatever, uh, he contacted his auto insurance carrier or mm-hmm. whatever and found out that they actually would cover the entirety of, uh, the damage, so... He wasn't too worried about it. So then he ended up renting a car because I'm assuming that he turned his car in to get it fixed. So he ended up renting a car. He dropped Mora off at the university at her dorms and then departed for Connecticut, which I'm assuming is where he is from. It never said, though, where he actually lived. Okay. But I'm assuming since he's going to Connecticut, he actually lives in Connecticut. So, at 11.30 that night, Fred called his daughter to remind her to um, grab some accident forms from, um, they call it the Registry of Motor Vehicles. We call it DMV. Yeah. Department of Motor Vehicles. Yeah. Um, So, they talked and agreed that they would discuss um, Monday night, like, how to fill out the forms. He would help her. Okay. And um, how to do the insurance claim form as well over the phone. So, midnight, on Monday, February 9th, Mora used her personal computer to search MapQuest to look up directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. Hold on, I need a drink. The first reported contact Murray had with anyone on February 9th was at 1 p.m. when she emailed her boyfriend, I love you more, Stead. I got your messages, but honestly, I don't really feel like talking to anyone, but I promise I'll call you today. Love you, Mora. She also made a phone call inquiring about renting a condominium at the same um, Bartlett New New Hampshire Condo Association, which um, her and her family vacationed at, I guess, a lot in the past. Uh, Telephone records indicate the call lasted about three minutes. But, um, she ended up not renting any place. So, at 1.13 p.m., Mora called a fellow nursing student, um, and nobody's really sure, so I don't know if, like, she didn't actually get through or she didn't leave a message or not. Um, but at 1.24 p.m., Mora emailed a work supervisor of the nursing school facility that she goes to that she would be out of town for a week due to a death in the family, but no one had actually died in the family. Yeah. Um, she also said that she would contact them when she returned so they would know that she was back in town. Um, and then at 2.05 p.m., Mora called a number which provides recorded information about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. The call lasted approximately five minutes. I don't know if she actually rented any place or not because it doesn't say. 
anywhere. I looked up, like, tons of different things to see yeah. what she actually did, and there's no record that she actually rented from anywhere. Uh, at 2.18 p.m., she then telephoned her boyfriend and left a voice message promising him that he would, uh, or that she would call him back again since he didn't answer his phone. Um, and that call only lasted about a minute. So, Amora packed clothing, toiletries, college textbooks, birth con- and birth control pills. <clears throat> After she went missing, the campus police searched her room and discovered that almost all of her belongings were packed in boxes, and she had also removed the artwork from all of her walls. Interesting. Right? It's unknown if she had packed the boxes the same day that she left, or if she packed them the day before. Got it. Police at the time um, said that she had packed between Sunday night and Monday morning, so they didn't know exactly when it was. But they did find a printed email to her boyfriend that was on top of a bunch of boxes. And that email indicated that there was trouble in their relationship. That's the only time I've ever heard that there was trouble in the relationship. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Around 3.30 p.m., she then drove off campus in her black 1996 Saturn sedan. Um, because classes had been canceled for the day because of a snowstorm. Got it. At 3.40 p.m., so 10 minutes after she left campus, she withdrew $280 from an ATM, and the video footage showed that she was alone. Uh, She then went by to a nearby liquor store, where she purchased about $40 worth of alcohol, um, including Bailey's, Irish Crane, Kahlua, Vodka, and a box of wine. The security footage from the um, liquor store also showed that she went in by herself. Then, on her way out of town, well, they're assuming on her way out of town, she picked up accident report forms from Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles. Um, She then left Amherst between 4 and 5 p.m. It is believed that she traveled north on Interstate 91, but they're not 100% sure. Okay. Um, at 4.37 p.m., she used, um, or she used, she called to check her voicemail. And then this is the last recorded use of her cell phone. Crazy. Ever. Um, unfortunately, she didn't tell anyone why she was leaving or where she was going. Which is very weird to me. But I guess, well, like, if you're really stressed out and you have a lot going on and you just want to go away, if you know where you're going and you've been there a lot with your family, then I guess you wouldn't really... Well, and it depends on if she's close to people at school and, like, you know, it kind of sounds like she couldn't tell her nursing friends where she was going because she had told a little white lie about there was a death in her family so she had to leave... You know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so... Sometime after 7 p.m. So, that would be... About two and a half hours after the last time she used her cell phone. Okay. Um, a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident 
heard a loud thump outside of her house. So she went to the window and looked out the window and she could see a car that was like up against a snowbank along Route 112. The car pointed west on the eastbound side of the route. She telephoned the Grafton County um, Sheriff's Department at 7.27 p.m. to report the accident. And according to 911 logs, the woman claimed to have seen a man smoking a cigarette inside the car. However, later she stated that she did not see a man nor um, a person smoking a cigarette, but rather had seen what appeared to be a red light glowing from inside the car, potentially from a cell phone. Okay. So I don't know if she told the person she saw the man or if I don't know. That I don't know either. Weird. Actually, this whole thing after the accident is weird. Yeah. So, around that same time, another neighbor saw a car as well as someone walking around the vehicle. She witnessed a third neighbor pull up alongside the vehicle. That neighbor was a school bus driver who was returning home. He noticed a young woman. Um, she wasn't bleeding and she wasn't injured. Well, he couldn't see her visibly injured. Uh, but it was cold outside and she was shivering. So he did offer to call for help for her. Um, but when he was um, interviewed by the police after they finally came, he stated that she had told him not to call the police. Um, one re- police report states that she pleaded with him. Um, and she assured him that she had already called AAA. But AAA has no record of any call coming in for them. Which she wouldn't have called because there's no record on her cell phone. Because the last time she used it was three hours earlier. Uh, So he knew that there was no cell reception in the area. So he continued home and called the police from his house. Um, His call was received by the sheriff's department at 7.43 p.m. He was unable to see Mara's... Mara? Yes, Mara's car. Mora? Mora. Mora. I think. I don't know. No, it's Mara. Mora. I don't know. Now I'm confused. <laughs> it's Mara. I'm sure it is. Mara's car. Um, Mara Murphy. Yes, it's Mara. Mora? Mora Murphy? God, now I don't even Mara know. Mara Murray. It's Did not I say Murphy? Murphy? Yes. God, I am so sorry. <laughs> Mora Murray. It's Mora. Thank you. Uh, so he was unable to see her car um, while he made the call, but he did notice that several cars had passed on the road before the police did arrive. Got it. Okay. Or he at least heard them. I don't know if he actually saw them. If you couldn't see her car, you probably couldn't see those. Um, another lo- local resident that was driving home from work says that she passed by the scene at 737, okay? Okay. And saw a police SUV parked face-to-face with Mora's car. Okay. She pulled over briefly to see if they needed help or anything, but the police officer wasn't there and Mora wasn't there. She couldn't find them anywhere. Weird. Um, So she did leave and continued home. 
So this witness's statement contradicts what the official police logs say. Okay? Okay. So the Haverhill Police Department says they arrived nine minutes after that was the first contact. So, according to the police log, they arrived at 7.46 p.m. The police officer arrived at the scene. Um, nobody was inside the car or around the car. He looked around like the immediate area and couldn't find her anywhere. So, he, the car had impacted the tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, which severely damaged the left headlight and um, pushed the car's radiator into the fan, which made it so the car was inoperable. She wouldn't have been able to drive it anywhere. And then the car's windshield was cracked on the driver's side, which makes me wonder if she hit it. Oh, smacked it with her head. Yeah, so I was wondering if maybe she was, like, a little bit out of it because maybe she had a concussion. Okay. And both of her airbags were deployed. Okay. Okay. The car was locked. And inside and outside the car, he discovered red stains that looked to be red wine. Inside the car, the officer found an empty beer bottle and a damaged box of wine Wine, on the rear seat. In addition, he found a AAA card issued to Mora, blank accident report film forms, gloves, compact discs, makeup, diamond jewelry, driving directions to Burlington, Vermont. Mora's favorite stuffed animal, a not without peril, oh, and not without peril, which is a book about mountain climbing in the White Mountains, her debit card, credit cards, a cell phone, oh, her debit card and credit cards and her cell phone were all missing and have never been located since she disappeared. Okay. The police later reported some of the bottles of purchased liquor were also missing. Uh, journalist Joe McGee, writing for Quincy, Massachusetts, Patriot Ledger, summarized the incident. At a hairpin, hairpin turn, she went off the road. Her car hit a tree. At that point, a person came along who was driving a bus. It was a neighbor. He asked her if she needed help. She refused. About ten minutes later, police showed up at the scene and Maura Murray was gone. Between 8 and 8.30 p.m., a contractor returning home from Franconia sure. saw a young person moving quickly on foot eastbound on Route 112, about four to five miles east of where Mora's vehicle was discovered. He noted that the young person was wearing jeans, a dark coat, and a light-colored hood. He did not report it to the police immediately due to his own confusion of dates, only discovering three months later when reviewing his work records that he had actually spotted the young person the same night that Moore disappeared. The responding officer and the bus driver drove around the area searching for any sign of her. Just before 8 p.m., EMS and a fire truck arrived to to clear the scene. By 8.49 p.m., the car had been towed to a local garage. At about 9.30 p.m., the responding officer left. 
A rag believed to have been part of Moore's emergency roadside kit was discovered stuffed into the Saturn's muffler pipe. Authorities would refer to Maura Murray as simply missing. At 12 p.m. the next day, almost 24 hours after the last confirmed sighting of her, is when they released the statement that she was just missing. It sounds to me like somebody tried to make her car. It does. Like inoperable? Yes. So she would either have to pull over or she would crash. Because why would she stuff I don't know. something in her... I don't I know. just don't... Yeah, it seems a little strange. Yes. Okay, so on the following day at 12.36 p.m., a Be On The Lookout report from Mora was issued. She was last reported wearing a dark coat, jeans, and a black backpack. A voicemail was left on Fred Murray's home answering machine at 3.20 p.m. stating that her car had been found abandoned. He was working out of state, so he never received the call. At 5 p.m., Maura's older sister, uh, I'm assuming Kathleen, called their father and told him Maura was missing. He immediately called the Haverhill Police Department and was told that if Maura was not reported safe by the following morning, the new Hampshire Fish and Game Department would start a search. At 5.17 p.m., Mora was first referred to as missing by the Haver, Haverhill Police. My question is, why are we not getting a search team and checking the woods all around where her car is? Yeah, I don't... I Like, think, this case was handled so bad from the beginning. Well, it just... I mean, yes. It... <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know either. And I, I mean. I mean, if they don't have the means to do this, like, I get it, but then bring in someone that does. Or ask for help. Right. Or, you know, I, it just makes me think that they thought maybe she left it, got a ride somewhere, and someone will hear back from her. But why can't we just find people first and then ask like ask questions while you're searching for right? them like it drives me crazy yeah i don't know uh so on february 11th mora's father arrived before dawn in haverhill at 8 a.m new hampshire fishing game the murrays and others began to began to search so they searched for her the next morning her family or the Her police. family, the New Hampshire Fish and Game, okay. and others began a search. I wonder how dark it gets. Like, does it get dark at five? Like, it does here? I don't know, but that's what flashlights are for. I I know. I know. Well, and then you like, got those I understand big not boom going, No, I understand not going, like, way out into the woods because people can get lost. Yes. Especially if it's the middle of the night. But how hard is it to search one mile in all around? Obviously pretty hard. But anyways, so a police tracking dog um, used uh, one of Moore's gloves to track her scent. Um, and it went 100 yards east from where the vehicle had been discovered. But then it just lost her scent. And that was on the road. So she was probably picked up by yes. a passerby. That's what I would assume. 
The police believe she left the area in another car. At 5 p.m., Maura's boyfriend and his parents arrived in Haverhill. He was interrogated in private and then was told, oh, and then he was joined by his parents, who were also questioned. At 7 p.m., the police said that they believe Maura came to the area either to run away or to kill herself. Her family believed this was very unlikely. Her boyfriend turned off his cell phone while he was on on his flight to Haverhill, so where he left to fly to Haverhill with his family. At some point during that flight, he received a voicemail that he believes is the sound of Maura sobbing. Okay. The call was traced to a call calling card issued to the American Red Cross. So... I don't know if they ever found out whose card it was. If they did, they never released it anyways. Um, on February 12th, Maura's father and her boyfriend held a press conference. The next day, the first press coverage was published. At 3.05 p.m., the police reported that Maura might be headed to the... <laughs> Kangkumagas, Kangkumagas Highway Area. Is that not? That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure I didn't pronounce it right. So <laughs> she is listed as endangered and possibly suicidal. The police report also stated Mora was intoxicated at the crash site. Although the bus driver has stated that she did not appear to be impaired. Like, how can you say that she's intoxicated when nobody has even talked to her? Okay. No. I just, I just want everyone to know: just because you buy alcohol doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you're drinking in your car. Doesn't well, just doesn't mean that you're gonna drink it all at the same time. I bought alcohol three months ago, and it's still in my fridge. Right, <laughs> and even though she had an empty beer car can in her car, doesn't mean it was from that day. When was it open? Right, and was it even hers? Probably not. <laughs> So, the Haverhill police chief said that our concern is that she's upset or she's suicidal. Well, you know, or maybe try to get to know who she actually Right? A week after she disappeared, her father and boyfriend were interviewed by CNN's American Morning. Morris family expanded their search into Vermont. This made that the authorities there had not been informed by her about her disappearance from the um the state that she or not the state the county that she went missing in they didn't inform anyone from the surrounding counties oh okay right that's helpful right um although missing person cases are normally handed handled by local and state police the FBI joined the investigation 10 days after she disappeared. The FBI interviewed family from Massachusetts and the Haverhill police chief announced that the search was now nationwide. Well, that's nice. Right? <laughs> 10 days after her disappearance, the New Hampshire Fish and Game conducted a second ground and air search using a helicopter with a thermal Im imaging camera, tracking dogs or tracking dogs and cadaver dogs were also used. During the search, Mora's older sister discovered a ripped pair, white pair of women's underwear laying in the snow on a secluded 
trail near French Pond Road on February 26th. Um, they ran DNA tests and it was not her sister's underwear. Thank God. At the end of February, excuse me, the police returned the items found in her car to her family. In February, the end of February, okay? Okay. On March 2nd, the family checked out of their er, motel, exhausted from the search, and headed back to their home. Fred Murray, however, returned nearly every weekend to continue searching for his daughter. In April, Haverhill police informed him that they had received several complaints against him due to his trespassing on private property and that he would need to stop going onto property without the owner's permission, which, I mean, I can kind well, of understand. Well, and if that state is like our state, if you're trespassing... You might get shot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so March 2004... Oh, the March 2004 disappearance of Brianna... I think it's Maitland in Montgomery, Vermont, which is 66 miles away from where Mora disappeared, uh, drew comparisons from the media and law enforcement due to how similar the disappearances were. However, state police have stated there are absolutely no links between the two cases. In April, and again in June, New Hampshire and Vermont police dismissed any connection between Mora's case and Brianna's. In a press release, they stated they believe that Mora was headed for an unknown destination and they may and may have accepted a ride in order to continue to that location, adding that they had discovered no evidence that a crime had been committed. Of course, because if she got in some stranger's car and they killed her, there wouldn't be any fucking evidence. Well, and there was a crime committed. She ran into a snowbank. Right? Like, I mean, I don't think she should be arrested for that, but she, like, that needs to be investigated as well. Right? Um, so they dim- dismissed the possibility of a serial c- killer being involved. On July 1st, police retrieved the items that they had found in her vehicle back from her parents so they could do tests on it. Because apparently they didn't do it the first time. Well, it's going to be worthless now. Because right? How many people have How many people have touched this stuff since then? I tell you. On July 13th, a one-mile radius search was performed by nearly 100 searches, searchers, including state troopers, rescue personnel, and volunteers. It was the fourth search around the crash area and the first search performed without snow on the ground. And that's another thing. There was snow on the ground when she crashed her car, and they didn't search that night for her. Yeah. Not saying that she didn't, like, walk down the road and accept no, a ride she, from someone, she but you don't know. She could have died of hypothermia. Right? She could have died of internal injuries. Yeah. Uh, so, authorities were most interested in locating the black backpack that she had in her possession, uh, but had not been found in her car. Uh, police stated the search discovered nothing conclusive. In late 2004, a man allegedly gave Mora's father a rusty stained knife that belonged to his brother. 
who had a criminal past and lived less than a mile from where the car was discovered. His brother and his brother's girlfriend were said to have acted strangely after she disappeared. And the man's brother claimed he believed the knife had been used to kill Mora. Several days after the knife was given to the father, the man's brother allegedly um, scrapped his Volvo. Family members of the man who turned in the knife claimed he had made up the story in order to obtain reward money in the investigation and that he had a history of drug use. In 2005, Fred Murray petitioned New Hampshire Governor Craig Benson to help in the search and appeared on the Montel Williams show in November of 2004 or 2004 to help keep the case active and on people's minds on February 9th, 2005. So one year later, right? No, not even a year later. I don't know what I'm talking about. So February 9th, 2005, which would be the first year anniversary of her disappearance, a um, service was held where the car was found. And her father met briefly with New Hampshire Governor John Lynch. In late 2005, Fred filed a lawsuit against several law enforcement agencies with the aim to seeing files on the case because they okay. wouldn't share any information with him. On November 1st, 2005, a user named Tom Davies logged into a message board called Not Without Peril, which is the name of the book that she had in her car. Yes which was dedicated to um, a discussion of Moore's disappearance and claimed to have seen a black backpack behind a restroom at <laughs> Pemi Gwasset Overlook, around 30 miles east of Woodsville on Route 112. Senior Assistant Attorney General Jeffrey Sterl... Sturlson stated that law enforcement was aware of the backpack but would not disclose whether or not it had been found or if it had been taken in for forensic testing. New Hampshire League of Investigators, 10 retired police officers, and um, like detectives that are actually still working. And the Molly Bish Foundation started working on um, the case in 2006. Because it must have been a cold case by then. Um, Tom Shamshack, a former police chief and a member of the Licensed Private Detective Association of Massachusetts, said, It appears that this is something beyond a mere mi missing persons case. Something ominous could have happened here. The Arkansas group Let's Bring Them Home offered a $75,000 reward in 2007 for information that could solve help solve her disappearance. In October 2006, volunteers led a two-day search within a few miles of where Mars' car was, found, car was found in the closet of the A-frame house approximately one mile from the crash site. Cadaver dogs allegedly went bonkers, possibly identifying the presence of human reins. The house was formerly owned by the man of the brother that gave the dad the bloody knife. The rusty knife. Yes, rusty knife, sorry. So, they um, took a sample of the carpet from the home 
and it was sent to the state police, but results have never been released. In July of 2008, volunteers led another two-day search through wooded areas in Haverhill. The group consisted of um, teams of dogs, licensed private investigators, Oh, I guess that's it. Licensed private investigators and teams of dogs. Uh, Mora's case was one of many cited by statewide cold case unit for New Hampshire in 2009. Her case was added to the newly established cold case unit later that year. In 2010, Fred Murray publicly criticized the police investigation for treating the disappearance as a missing persons case and not a criminal matter and called the FBI to join the investigation. Jeffrey Sturlzen said in February 2009 that the investigation was still active. We don't know if Mora is a victim, but the state is treating it as a potential homicide. It may be a missing persons case, but it is being handled as a criminal investigation. In 2014, on the 10th anniversary of her disappearance, Sturlzen stated that we haven't had any credible sightings of Morris since the night that she disappeared. In an article published in the New York Daily News on the 10th anniversary of, her, of his daughter's disappearance, it was reported that Fred Murray believed she was dead and that she had been abducted the night of her disappearance. On February 9th, 2017, the 13th anniversary of her disappearance, um, Sturlzen, however the hell you say his name, wrote in an email to the Boston Globe, it is still an open case with periods of activity, and at times it does go dormant. There are no new updates for us to share at this time. In February 2019, the 15th anniversary of Moore's disappearance, Fred reiterated his belief that his daughter was dead, as well as his suspicions that the nearby house that the cadaver dogs responded to, stating, that's my daughter, I do believe. In early April, ex excavation was done within the basement of that house. Fred Murray had previously wanted to search the home, but the owners would not allow it. Following the sale of the property, the new owners told him that it was fine to search it, and they had done several searches on the property since February. Um, the excavation conducted in April found absolutely nothing other than what appears to be a piece of pottery or old piping. In early 2021, uh, the tree where... At the site where Mora was last seen, which had been marked with a blue ribbon as a memorial, was cut down by the property owner. Shortly after, Mora's family requested to have a New Hampshire historical marker placed at the site, which had been submitted in late 2020. It was denied. Wow. Right? On September 14, 2021, New Hampshire State Police announced that bone fragments had been found on Loon Mountain in Lincoln, New Hampshire, approximately 25 miles east of the site of the crash. Mora had been to the mountain before and had knowledge of the area, according to her sister. The bone fragments were described as pretty small, and it was expected to take at least two months to determine if they were her remains or not. 
In November, it was announced that the remains were not Maura Murray. In January 2022, FBI issued a national alert in Maura's case and created a violent criminal apprehension profile, allowing multiple law enforcement agencies to share information regarding her case. For everyone that lives in the United States, she was put into Viacap. Oh. That's what that means. Yes. Everyone outside of the United States, that just means that all, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, like, um, police, what, what, what would you call that? Like, um, all investigation resources are like together. anyone could look up on that. To check to see if, like, any cases matched or whatever, or yes. if anything, like, from anywhere. They can input it, input, like, ran into a tree and, um, disappeared. And yeah, then But it's, anything... like, not just the FBI is the FBI. Not just the <laughs> FBI is the only one any... who can look it up. It's no. any, um police officer or whatever yes i'm not trying that's not what i'm looking for but an investigation like like any investigator yes that's not what i was looking for either but that's close enough (laughs) (laughs) um so bill jensen who wrote for the boston magazine in 2014 stated now at least online it often seems that it often seems as though there's no such thing as a cold case. But when Mora disappeared, the social web was at its infancy. There was no YouTube and no Twitter. On the day Mora went missing, Facebook was five days old. Oh, that's so that's, that's crazy. crazy. And so you could read the hist- so you can read the history of her case, um, like on different online sleuthing places, but back then, like there was no way to upload it because not like yeah. no not as many people were online as they are now. So like now, like something like that happens, you have tons of people who are like, Oh, well, did this happen? Did this happen? And lots of cases get solved from people online who were, you know Yeah. But no but back then they didn't have that. So so in two thousand and five active dis Active discussions of Mora's disappearance was documented on WebSleuth.com. And in 2007, Facebook and MySpace pages were created dedicated to helping find her. On the internet, Mora's disappearance is the perfect obsession, a puzzle of clues that offers a tantalizing illusion. If the right armchair detective connects the right dots, maybe then it can be solved. And so every day, the case attracts new recruits, analyzing and dissecting and reconstructing the details of her story. And hopefully one day, it will be solved. There's also an episode of 2020 that um, compared Maura's case to Brooke Wahlberger's case, who went missing in Oregon. Do you remember that? That was horrible. A few months after Maura disappeared, um... But Brooke was later found murdered, and they actually caught the person that did it. So, it was not the same person. 
Uh, her case was also featured on IDs Disappeared in Season 1, Episode 6. In 2017, Oxygen Network produced a six-part TV documentary miniseries titled The Disappearance of Maura Murray. And it was hosted by Maggie Freeling. Uh, Maura's disappearance was the subject of the nonfiction thriller True Crime Addict. How I Lost Myself in the Mysterious Disappearance of Maura Murray. That sounds like the TV show. <laughs> the woman that lives oh, in the house yeah. across, the, across yeah. the street. Um, Let's see. And that was written by James Renner. Um, Renner posed a theory that Maura traveled into New Hampshire and may have disappeared willingly and started a new life elsewhere due to fears of her pending credit card fraud case. Which doesn't make any sense because she already went to court for it and the court said well, it would be I mean, taken off of her. I could see her being scared because she had gotten into that accident. But if the dad's insurance was going to cover it, that shouldn't have gotten past like, no. the judge. No. And then... Like, running into a snowbank, she should have been fine. Right? Um, but the fraud case would prevent her from being hired as a nurse or less likely was murdered by someone she knew. Why, why less likely? Uh, Morris family have, dispute, have disputed his theory and still feels that she was abducted and murdered after the car crash. And that's all I got. Oh my god, that took a whole hour. <laughs> Guess we'll record yours later. Um, I I love the fact that you say New Hampshire. Because I just say New Hampshire. I noticed that. Uh, well. No, I just. They say it different. They say New Hampshire. I just think it's funny. That's the only reason. I usually say New Hampshire. And now I can't because I'm so used to yeah. saying it the other way. New Hampshire. Yeah. Oh, I just thought it was funny. <clears throat> I was trying to be nice to the people from New Hampshire. I can't. <laughs> it, it took me a bit. Yeah, so, um, I won't be going this week. <laughs> well, you can record it and we can yeah. do it later. But, no, that case is bonkers. and Right? I know that they've tried to, um, oh, I can't remember who he was, but, um, there's a, there's a serial killer who kidnapped a girl from a coffee shop, kept her dead in a shed, then, like, flew across the United States. What? And then they found out that he had, like, little, uh, all these people are like, oh my god, oh my god! It's this person. But anyways, he ended up getting caught for... Because he still had her debit card and was using it in Texas or somewhere around there. Probably not even close to around there, but that's where I'm going with. And um, so they picked him up and they were like, how many people have you killed? Blah, blah, blah. And he was really upset that the news got out into the media that he ended up killing himself. But I don't remember that. They um they thought maybe he might have been around uh that location 
when she had disappeared or they were trying to figure it out because he was he seriously would just choose people at random like he had kill kits buried in different parts of the United States yeah and he would visit and then I really can't remember this guy's name but anyways well I figure what happened was one she either left I don't I but she hasn't used her cell phone or any of her debit yeah, or credit cards, I don't, so I don't see that happening. I don't think she left. I don't think so either. I think she was walking on the side of the road, and somebody picked her up. Yeah, and I, I, I understand that, like, in your, if you're in that kind of situation, wanting someone to pick you up because, like, A, you don't have self-service, maybe her cell phone was dead, I don't know. Well, I but, was wondering if maybe she had amnesia because she or, hit her oh, head. Oh, I didn't even think about that. You know, and maybe that's why they can't find her. Is right. Because she does have amnesia and doesn't know who she is. That, that to me, is a better conclusion than um, she just decided to change her life because of whatever. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I, I wonder how much percentage... That number is of people that just walk away from their life and start anew. Well. It can't be high. I know the well, police. There's were... a lot of people that you can't prove one way or the other. So you wouldn't have no, a but that's accurate... like, I mean, police want to think that theory is like true for almost everybody. Right. Which in a beautiful world like, where everything is perfect, yeah, I would totally love to, I would hope that they would contact someone and be like, I don't want to be found, I'm still alive. Right. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel for her family, friends, like, ex-boyfriends, all of the above. I just, I really... I hate not having closure on things. Yeah. But I'm so addicted to it. <laughs> it's true. Oops, sorry. <laughs> wow. Um, but I think that's it for today. <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's a long one. It is a very long one. There's but there's a like of, um... tons of stuff that happens, so. Yeah. No, for sure. All right. So until next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.